I noticed that when I went in there to take a shower, there was this hair club for men kit. <laughs> so this whole, uh, I voluntarily didn't have a hair for a season, but then yeah. I decided to grow it out. Yeah. So you for everyone listening, help? that's a lie. <laughs> <laughs> Everything I have up top is what my mama gave me. <laughs> so y'all could just shut up with your skullets. podcast we've got the uh, holy trinity of slowdown podcasters with us today let's talk let's start with <laughs> it would be a fun <laughs> conversation to actually have like who would be the father son and the holy spirit of our uh of this podcast i'm if, already if this uncomfortable too, <laughs> if this is too if this is too blasphemous for you you can tune out <laughs> Just hit that hit that little button that they have at the bottom, like thirty second fast forward. <laughs> yeah, let's get past this. Be like, you can't talk about this. All right, just just chill out, chill out. Yeah, calm down. Go back a couple of episodes. Listen to Reclaim Two, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the finished work of Jesus on our behalf. But and, uh, and just tune right back in. Yeah. So we got uh, got the full crew here today. Russ is here. Hey, Russ. Hey, what's up? Ryan's here. What's up, Ryan? No, just hanging out. Nice. Um, Russ and Ryan, you guys have very similar haircuts, um, I'm noticing. And um, you're definitely definitely lacking up top in the hair department. And uh, I've I've been in your camp for a while, but voluntarily. I just kind of shaved my head out of convenience. Um, Hold on a minute. I'm pretty sure when we were recently in San Diego and we – had to share a hotel room there. I noticed that when I went in there to take a shower, there was this hair club for men kit. <laughs> so this whole, uh, I voluntarily didn't have hair for a season, but then yeah. I decided to grow it out. Yeah. So for everyone listening, help? that's a lie. <laughs> <laughs> Everything I have up top is what my mama gave me. <laughs> so y'all could just, Shut up with your skullets. Hey. <laughs> My skullet, dude. I'm bringing back that monk dude, bro. <laughs> you know how they had to like shaved around the sides, a little bit of hair, nothing on top? That's coming yeah. back in. That's coming, coming back, back in. <laughs> well, the, the skullet phrase came from, um, I remember volunteering in children's ministry back in the day. I think I was in my 20s, man. I was like, you know, a new believer. And up front from the stage, like, man, we need, you know, we need children's ministry volunteers, you know, like, all right, I'll do this. <laughs> and so I was dating my wife at the time. We both did it. I was seriously the worst ministry volunteer, children's ministry volunteer <laughs> of all time. I remember, I'm going to get to my point in a second, but I remember this white kid was acting up. I picked up my cell phone and I just like acted like I dialed some numbers. I'm like, hello, is this a service that removes bad kids from Sunday school? <laughs> I'm like, uh, yes, I'm here with her. And I, I, I put the phone away from my head. I'm like, what's your name, kid? <laughs> like his eyes were so big. He's so freaked out. 
I'm like, yeah, you just won't listen to me. And I think I'm going to have you like come and remove this kid from Sunday school. And he's like, he's like looking at me. He's like, no, hang the phone up, dude. I'll stop <laughs> chill. <laughs> Sounds like you were fantastic at that job. Yeah, dude. Yeah. What? Yeah. I don't think some what? parents would appreciate that, but I got him to straighten up and fly right. That's for sure. <laughs> but I, was- I did. I did eat all the snacks though, too. I was like, oh, you got to finish that? <laughs> Let me get some more of those. <laughs> he opens up his bag of crackers and he's like, have you heard about how Jesus told us to share? <laughs> but anyways, the larger point I was making was we used flannel graphs, you know, back in the day. And they would put the, the flannel graph of like the, the prophets of old, you know, like a Jeremiah or like an Elisha or whatever. And oh, all yeah. of them were bald on top, but they had long hair. And it was like, it wasn't a mullet. It was, we called it a skullet. So all you guys have is the gentleman, like hipster fade version of a skullet. That's what you guys got going on. So what do we got today, man? What are we digging into here? Huh? Well, we're going to dig into um, Reclaim 3. The question at hand is, how do we become disciples? If you're listening in and you've been a believer for any length of time, you could think to yourself like, dude, this seems like a pretty elementary topic. This doesn't seem too applicable. How does this relate to equipping leaders and making disciples? And this seems kind of like just like an ABC, one, two, three, kindergarten spiritual conversation. How do we become disciples? But why is this question in particular relevant for us today? And I got a story, but I know too, Russ, you got some thoughts on that. It's definitely a, a very relevant question. Uh, I think it's much more than we, than we even think. And I think it's not just relevant for everybody that's listening that might be, you know, a part of a church family or just stepping into living out this, this life that Jesus has called us to for the first time. I think it's, it's extremely applicable to everybody that's even in leadership because we talk often about like this good news and, you know, simple conversation of who Jesus is and what he did and how we become like followers of him. Amen. And again, like you said, it can be seen as a very elementary conversation. The, but what's insane is when you think about just the massive amount of implications that we can find in and around the U.S. and beyond of so many people that have basically have held and continue to hold God at arm's length because of what they heard in the name of Jesus and what they heard was required to be right in relationship with the God that's made them. And what they heard actually did not align with what Jesus taught, nor mm. did. And if, you, if you're not careful, we can, we can grab onto this very elementary conversation and turn it into trigonometry and just confuse the hell out of everybody. Yeah. And all of a sudden, this, <laughs> this good news of what a God has done and, and, and the simplicity of what it is that we actually can bring to the table and how he takes the only thing we can bring. <laughs> our death and then uses it to, to offer us life. We, we instead can say, no, 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 no. There's actually like this ladder that you're going to need to climb. Yeah. And so that's what we're going to dig into today is, is what Jesus actually said about this matter and why it's so important for us to grab onto it right now, especially in a day where the vast majority of people in and around us have zero interest in the things of God in his church. Yep. So some of the stuff you touched on, we'll definitely get into in a little bit, but this conversation kicks off with how do we become disciples? And we really go to Ephesians 2.1, which says that we are dead 
in trespasses and sins, or as Romans 3.23 says, we all fall short of the glory of God. And you said it perfectly just a little bit ago in a phrase that we use all the time on this podcast. When you see who we are, that we are not just um, some decent people that have been marred a little bit, you know, or we're a little broken. The, the Bible says that we're dead in trespasses and sins. And we don't need to be fixed. We don't need to be improved. We don't need to trick, right, our flesh and who we are with systems and programs or, you know, various different like models or rhythms or, you know, those kinds of things. We actually need someone in the resurrection business. Yeah. We need to be raised to life because that's really the only hope for something that is dead. Yeah, Tony, you're right, dude. Um, and I love that phrase that we use because it, it, really, it really drives us with some, some real clarity to what it is that Jesus has done and declared, right? When you, when you use a phrase like, we are in need of someone in the resurrection business, which totally ties into our conversation. We were unpacking the truth a couple of weeks ago, which was in relation to Tolian's interview about this finished work of Jesus, like what he actually came to do. He, right, he steps into this world where, where everyone's looking for him to, in a, in a sense, like refine people, right? Re, refine society, improve right it. Hand, right hand of power. Yeah, yeah. And then the whole time Jesus is saying no. And so, of course, they're, they're sort of in shock when he says, listen, I'm the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. Like, that's why I've come. Um, and, and on the cross, right? Like he announces God's dealings with the sin problem of this world are finished. His words, not ours. It is finished. All that is unjust has been justly punished in the perfect son. Forgiveness has been given. Right? It, has, it has been extended to everyone in light of the one that they've ultimately offended, right? God himself. And so within this, we find this grace. We find this love. We find this acceptance, which is all tying back to what he's done. And so to, to begin to share what is, what is needed for us to become disciples, followers, right, of Jesus, to live in fellowship with God at his table, to, to bring conditions to that would, in a sense, like undo all that, we've, that, we just, that I just shared. Um, Hebrews seven twenty six to 27 is a passage we often talk about where he says, for it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He, unlike us, it says, has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, right? Since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. So does God need to crucify his son again for every sinner, right, who, who believes or, or, or works to get it together so they can be a disciple of Jesus? No, he did this once and for all when he offered up himself. Hmm. It is finished. It is taken care of. And so because, yeah, because the work is, is finished, right, completely, um, this speaks to why the gospel or even this work is referred to as good news. It's yeah. an announcement of something that's already happened. It's not good advice, which is um, a few helps here and there for a situation that still is yet to, right, show the outcome. And maybe you can manipulate that outcome by this thing or that thing, by doing this, by not doing this particular thing. It's news. It's already happened. It's already done. And because he's done the work fully, 
completely right on our behalf. Yeah. The only real response, the only real thing left to do is to respond to this news. And how does any of us respond to good news? Right. With saying, yes, that's good with celebration, Celebrate. with joy. Um, and so the call then right in that is to simply believe. And if people think that that's cheap or if people think that that's just like too simple or people think like, no, it's got to be harder than that, then man, you're just really not seeing the right. finality of the work of this son. And so just a couple of passages, John three sixteen, we know that, right? Whoever believes in the name, right, of the only begotten son has eternal life. Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but save it as an extension of that, um, um, that's, that savior job description he has, Matthew one twenty one. right? He's going to save his people from his sins. And Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, for by grace you have been saved through right. faith. Faith is how we connect to this, um, this finished work. If we awaken yeah. to it and enter into the joy of its finality and its fullness by faith. But this conversation is getting muddied a little bit in our day. And you think this is like basic stuff. Mm -hmm. But we're hearing, as we connect with leaders across the states, we're hearing different things. Oh, for sure. As to what it, what it is to be a disciple. And out of, I think, out of a, a good place, a lot of Christian leaders who want good for their people, um, you know, the people that they, they lead um, and for their friends, um, because they recognize there's like a, there's a cultural, right, Christianity that's out there that's really not like the, the like the, the, it doesn't involve the good things he's invited us into, like community and love for neighbor and, and love for, love for God. They're just, they're noticing people are just approaching these things in a cultural way. They're just coming into church services and they're just kind of checking the box in there and they're okay. leaving. And so out of a frustration for that, um, and I think out of a good place for them to really kind of like run in like these things that are harmonious with this life he's given us, um, they're starting to add conditions and ladder climbing and, you know, specifics out right. beyond faith as to what it means to be a disciple. Have you experienced that Russ? Oh yeah. Yeah. Not only have I experienced it and I've seen it over the years, especially in all the travels that we've been doing over the last five years as a network. Um, I've experienced it firsthand as someone who used to, <laughs> to distribute those conditions to people. Yeah. Right. Like I'm somebody that too, man. Do this by, by faith, right. By faith, as you were just reading in Ephesians, it's God's grace that this gift of his son was given his life for my life, his death for my death. His resurrection is my resurrection. And God's looking at me and going, I am life. And, and I'm giving this to you. And by faith, right? You receive this, you live in this, you awaken to this, this now becomes your life. And I took that and ran with it. And it was such good news, but eventually between, you know, seminary and serving in the church and eventually leadership, I'm sort of being trained with this. Yeah, it's, that's true. But there's all these other things that we really need to get lined up because there's this broken world out there and it's up to us to fix it and undo it. And all the, you know, all these other pieces that we add 
to this equation and somehow this faith alone joy goes missing. And so, yeah, man, I've definitely experienced it. I've definitely experienced the, uh, as I would put it, the robbing people from the life-giving invitation that all they really need to enter into this life is the only thing that they have to give their death. Hmm. And, 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 and so believing, right. Believing in him. Yeah. Their death and like dying to the idea that I have something to offer, right. Other than just saying yes to someone outside of myself. I, I had a conversation with a guy this past week. Um, and it was like, I was looking in a mirror of myself five years ago. And this guy was breaking down to me, his sermon that he was going to preach in Luke 10. And his very first point was that mission is our identity. And if you're not on mission, you're not a disciple. Mm. And I've definitely heard that. Yeah. I've been there. I've I've, said that (laughs) I've, I've preached that I've told people that that Spurgeon quote of you're either a missionary or an imposter, dude, I think I use that like every, every (laughs) chance I had to like preach a sermon. I've used that. And again, man, like think about this. It comes from a good place. Do we want, really like the people in our lives who we might have influence on, or we can speak into their lives. Do we want to show them that God's invited us into a journey with him to participate in this world by like loving them and slowing down with them and like sharing good news and adding value to them, you know, and caring for them in tangible ways and pointing to the King. Yes. We want, we, we long for that. I long for that in my, in my life. But the thing that I noticed in that moment as I was processing through that, is one, I wasn't judging him too hard because, uh, well, I was judging him really hard, but then God quickly reminded me, like, you used to be that dude, so chill out. Um, so mm. there's a, there a bit of humility that he produced there. But um, I was thinking back, I go, look at what we do in the church. We appeal to people's um, consumeristic tendencies, and we give them the best yeah. sermons and the best buildings and the best programs and the best – staff and all those types of things. And so we appeal to that consumeristic mindset and impulse. But now we start to get woke to the missional conversation. We start to get woke to like, oh, hey, man, maybe this isn't about just adding numbers and services and all these other things and the chance right. of the world, and the Vanderstelts of the world and everybody's coming out like, no, man, it's the missions to make disciples, right? And so we've literally produced the fruit of passive observational cultural Christianity about what we've given them for the last 30 years. But now because we're woke to the conversation, we're going to get up and tell them, Hey, you're not a disciple because you're not doing these things, Mm. which we helped you not do. Mm. Right. It's, it's, it's comical, right? And it's comical. And I think we laugh at it, which we've already stated, but it's worth stating again. We laugh at it because we've been there. We've done this. We've lived this. We, we realize, man, we're, we're all upset and pissed off about the very thing we created. <laughs> yeah. Now we need to undo it, right? We need to get it back on course. But man, the way back is not calling everybody and forcing everybody into some life of extending this, this good news of Jesus to those in and around them as if by, by, you know, strapping these things on, you know, they're, they're somehow now a disciple and before they weren't. In fact, what they'll do is they'll carry a message to people that's contrary to the very one that Jesus himself shared. Yeah. I've come to die because your need is resurrection and it's by faith in me and me alone that you live in relationship. Everything else you're looking for, it'll come, 
right? That's a different conversation. We're going to dig into that as you've already noted, Tony. Um, but man, it's, let's not move into it. Let's not go, okay, so then what is that? And how do we get there? That's the issue. That's the problem. That's the disconnect here is we always want to jump to something that we can point to, grab onto. So even when we talk about appealing to people's consumeristic nature, right, with, with church, I'm wondering if the core of that is because we just are constantly appealing to people's ultimate desire, myself included, which is control, right? It, it all just kind of goes back to the garden. <laughs> there's, there's two things that are just seem to be constant in any culture that you find yourself in, then all the way to today. One, it's just, it's this belief in an independent me, right? Mm. And I know better. And then two, this ultimate desire for control, anything but surrender, right? To the one that's made me and loved me to the one that makes me whole and holy. Like I, or as Capen says, anything to. but the indignity of indiscriminate acceptance. Right. Cause to, to do that is to admit, I didn't bring anything to the table. In fact, I can't. And now I have to live by faith. You know what I mean? Alone in someone else who's actually in control. And there's something in us, right? It's like kind of a, this like human struggle, this, this element of sin in us that, just wants to suppress that even people who are believing it and claiming it still will run and gravitate to the teacher right they can give them three points this week and three the next week right whether it's around how to be a better parent or a better spouse or a better employee or a better business owner or you know what i mean healthier more fit better finances like all these things centered around this this myth of improvement and again it just comes back to man you're not in control but my love for being in control, just, there's something in that, man, that makes me undo the good news. So usually when we get to this point in the conversation, whether we're training people through Reclaim or we're just like talking with people, they're like, yep, totally get that. Cool. I'm a Christian by faith. I've become a disciple by faith. And they quickly want to move on to, but then what does that look like? And they're, they're totally fine with um, broken people and sinners I, I just laughing by say, phrasing it like this they're totally fine with with people getting grace on the front end but i mean just on the front end right at some point we need to start like earning our keep gotta clean it around up. here you know at, at some point we need to start kind of like matching this grace and and this could lead into some really really like you know, bad forms like debtor's ethic and, and all kinds of different things. But this, this nervousness with yeah. letting good news just sit here and this indiscriminate acceptance in a finished work of someone outside of us and, and labeling faith simply as just saying yes to something instead of all the different nuances of what is true saving faith and what is a true disciple and contrasting like oh, convictional man. disciples with, you know, congregational disciples and all these other things, dude, the, the conversation's maddening out there. And if you stuck around long enough for like the whole like MacArthur version of that, like what is true saving faith and you yeah, know, the, the pipe, the Piperian version of all that. Um, but we have a, we have a parable that we think is pretty fitting for this, this conversation. And it's the parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee out of Luke 18. And we know that we know the scene well, right? Um, it's, this is Jesus's version of two guys walking to a bar, except two guys walking to a temple, right? The one is the poster child for holiness and law keeping the Pharisee. 
Right. And the other is the poster child for law breaking and just social, just, just despisement. Is that even a word? Despisement? Yeah. Like socially despised. Debauchery. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you got, you got yeah. basically like your poster children for both ends of the spectrum, good and bad. And they both walk into the religious and the irreligious. Yes. But you can't get any farther on the spectrum than these two guys. And the Pharisee starts first. He's pretty, he's pretty eager to show his hand um, as to why um, he has confidence before God, why he has confidence in the temple, why he has confidence uh, to pray. So he, he's bringing in his hand and he, he brings out and busts out his, his, his resume all the reasons, right? All the good things in his life. And he's genuinely thankful to God for these things, but he's thankful that he's not, you know, like other people. He's not an extortioner. He's not unjust. He's thankful that he's responsible with his money. And he's thankful that he's responsible with his sexuality. And so he's clinging to these things, right? As a means for confidence before God. In fact, Jesus even starts the parable off. He told this parable for those who trust in themselves, the independent you, which is the opposite of, of dying and clinging to someone outside of you, which is what we see in the tax collector. And the right. tax collector is standing off in the distance, right? The scene quickly fades from like the light shining on the golden child of you know, religiosity <laughs> over to the dark corner of the temple where the tax collector is who snuck in right 20 minutes late for church service here (laughs) and uh his head his head is hung he doesn't have a confidence to lift his head um he is very very aware of his sin and he utters seven words while beating his breast which is a sign of just of brokenness and repentance and he says god be merciful to me a sinner he he brings nothing in his hands So it's the exact opposite of the Pharisee. He has no resume. He has no list. He has nothing to cling to. And in humility and in brokenness, in really just destitute of anything good, he simply admits his death and clings to the gracious and merciful nature of God. And he asks for forgiveness. And what does Jesus do? He awards the gold medal of justification and pardons, not the Pharisee, who had the stellar resume, but the rebellious, unrighteous tax collector who admitted nothing but his death. And we love that, right? We love it. We're like, yeah, dude, amen, awesome. Love that, right? (laughs) And we're cool with that on the front end. But we asked the question in our training, all right, let's follow this dude for a week, two weeks, three weeks, a month, two months three months, right? And we ask a couple of questions. Russ, I want to I hand it over to you because I actually kind of like heard this for the very first time from you. So I want to pay respect to the OG where I heard this conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, and just so I'm clear on my end, I was just passing on what I heard, <laughs> what I read from someone long ago. But uh, yeah, it was, it was such an eye-opener for me because like we're seeing a lot of success in this missional world of a church that I was leading in you know, quote unquote, and in this process, just finding that people were working really hard to extend something to other people that I didn't seem like they really enjoyed themselves. And perhaps it's because they never really experienced this radical, right? 
invitation, this radical reality, you could even say, of what God has done. And, and it was you know, in that process, man, that I came across this parable and these questions, and it was such a showstopper for me when, when he said, yeah, we followed this guy home, and let's say, let's say this, this, this publican, right, this tax collector, let's, what do you want to see him do this week? And of course, I've come back with, well, I want to see him like get it together. You know what I mean? I want to see him quit his job. I want to see him give back the money that, that he stole from all of his people. The Zacchaeus thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like these, At least they, they, have a plan for it. Yeah. Like he can't just believe this and then that's it. He has to, like his belief has to result in all of these other things. Otherwise, you know what I mean? What, what really happened here? That's, that's what I jumped to. And so I want to see him go home. I want to see him do all these things. And of course, I'm, as you think through it, it's like, yeah, yeah, cool. So if that's you, if you're listening in right now and you can agree with me on that, are you okay with him coming back the next week and looking at Jesus and saying, yeah, um, I, I didn't, nothing really changed at all this week in my life. Are you okay with that? Are you okay with him admitting his death and saying, but, but, I, but you, you're my only hope. And Jesus looking back at him saying, I know. And I was already told you, you're justified. You live in relationship with the God that, that knows you, the one that made you, the one that loves you. You're secure. And I, I just, I said, no, hell no. Yeah. I'm not okay with that. Because there's this impulse in us, right? We're okay with grace on the front end. Right. But as we keep coming back in community and in relationship, as we walk with people, or we, maybe we even view ourselves through this own lens, it's like, okay, cool. Yeah, no, I, I get you get that God's gracious and merciful and all that, but where's, where's, the, where's the progress here? How many job applications have you filled out? Are you still sleeping around five nights a week? You know, right. what about you know, you know, your plan for all, the, all these things? And there's just something about us that, just really resorts to behavior adjustment. We want to move on so quickly from, from grace. And there's something that we do as we posture with people, right? There's a, there's a connection to way we disciple people and walk with them that actually circles back to the Pharisee. Yeah. Cause at the end of the day, like you, you want that guy to come back. And, and when we hear that Jesus still justifies him, we, we still scratch our heads and we're going, no, 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 no. And I, to which case I would say, okay, so then send him out, send him out this week and say, here's some things that you need to think through. Here's some things that you need to change. What if he comes back the following week? And this time he has some reform under his belt. He, he can point to, you know, I used to sleep around with, you know, with ladies on a, on a daily basis, but now I'm down to twice a week. And I used to steal 50% from the people that I was right, collecting taxes from, and now it's only 20%. And I've even set up a, a small nonprofit where I'm starting to give back to one of the needs in our city. Love that. Uh, right? And we hear that and we're going, yeah, yeah, okay, amen. That's, that's progress. That's reform. That's uh, refinement. That's improvement. These are the things that we need and that we're looking for until you come across the reality that there's something in you in that moment, like me, that's undoing the story that Jesus himself told about what God is like and what is needed for us to dwell in relationship with him. There's something in us that wants the Pharisee, I'm sorry, we want, we want the tax collector, we want the publican, we want him to come to the temple with the Pharisee speech in hand. Hmm. Here's what I did and here's what I didn't do. 
Mm-hmm. And if Jesus would have no part of that story, if Jesus would have no part of that resume that far out exceeds anything any of us that are listening to this right now are ever going to bring to the table, why would we, A, want to bring it or B, tell somebody else that they need to bring something else? Why, why undo what it is that Jesus is constantly teaching? And man, there's just something in us. And I think what it, what it just boils down to is we don't realize, even the Pharisee in this story doesn't, he doesn't seem to realize or know what God desires because either A, he doesn't know what his need is, or B, he's unwilling to admit it. God doesn't desire speech. God doesn't desire us to come back with a resume because God doesn't need it. He's already taken care of all that's needed for us to dwell in him in the life of his perfect son on our behalf. We don't need to come with a speech. We just need to come and admit our death and by faith cling to the only one again, who's in the resurrection business. The reason why this hit me so hard when I first heard it was because I used to operate as if discipleship was, um, daily, weekly meetings where you came with your resume and pulled it out of your back pocket. Yeah, man. How much scripture did you read? Here's a list of 10 questions and 10, you know, sins to avoid. How'd you do on a scale of one to five on each of these things? Yep. Did you, were you a testimony to your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and all your words and actions this week? I used to do all that. And basically, I realized, holy cow, man, I'm setting up a culture and an environment where I'm asking people to bring their spiritual resumes every single week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. As if they're worth something. When I think, Russ, like I heard you tell that story, and it's kind of a gut punch, right? Whenever it first hits you, so you're like, oh, man, I've been perpetuating this thing, just basically trying to create more Pharisees. And And I know for me, like I was all on board with, you know, you can't fix yourself. I I was all on board with, we're broken, we're messed up, you can't fix yourself. But what I was trying to do without knowing it was, hey, but here's this other fix that's outside of you. uh, And like Jesus can fix all of this rather than letting good news just be good news. Hmm. Yeah, man. Yeah, when you you miss that, right, which is kind of what Tony's sharing, you – you inevitably, you inevitably perpetuate a very different story to people than what God is like. And they wind up you know, basically living their lives in, in this tyranny of religion, right? Where religion's telling us to try harder and do better because God will bless that devotion, especially if you can live a life that, that shows and proves to be worthy of what he's done versus just by faith, finding our lives in him and then trusting him to work things out just as he promised he would. Awesome. Well, let's wrap it up there. Glad you guys are listening in. Like we always say, feel free to uh, drop us an email, reach out to us on social media, Instagram, Facebook, all that good stuff. And we'll catch you next week on the slowdown. Good stuff, guys. Peace.